and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles, which our fathers told, of, told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee. Let's stop there. We'll read more later, but let's pray and ask God to bless what we've read. Father, I do thank you, Lord, this morning that we do live in this great country where we're allowed to come and worship you and worship you freely without fear of repercussions. Father, help us, Lord, number one, to acknowledge you, that, Lord, it's by your goodness and grace that we were born in this great land we call America. And, Father, I pray you'd help us, Lord, honor and pay respect to those veterans, Lord, who have worked to not only secure it uh, but to defend it, that we might be able to gather here today and worship. Lord, help us take advantage of that freedom today. Help us set aside cares of life just for a few minutes, that we might hear your word preached, and most importantly, that we might hear your spirit as it speaks to us. Lord, I pray you give me liberty this morning. Give me recollection. Help me preach what you'd have us to preach, and help us respond as you would have it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I thought a lot the last few days about our country. We just went through an election cycle, and there's still a lot of things to be decided in that election cycle. A lot of thought has been going into our country and the direction of our country and who we are and who we're going to become somewhat as an outcome of the elections that uh, we just have and are continuing to have. And been thinking a lot about the story of America and how God raised up this country. And I uh, came to a conclusion that even though we have a lot of opinions on different things in our country today, one thing we should all agree on is that when you tell the story of America and how God raised up this country, the story of our country cannot be told without recognizing that one of the most important and crucial characters in our story is simply the grace of God. All throughout our history, from the very first days that our country was beginning to form and become what we know it as today, we can look back and see the grace of God. It was evident there. You don't have to dig hard. You can see it there, that it was the grace of God that brought us through those difficult times that our country needed in order to become who we are today. I read a little bit about the pilgrims this week and the treacherous journey uh, of coming to this land, this new world, and how some died on the crossing over. And then in that first winter, uh, there were many that died, and all the, the future of our country was uh, on a very thin ice at that moment, and yet we see the grace of God in those early days of our country that God brought us through anyway. We look at the fledgling Continental Army and how there's no way on earth a group of ragtag soldiers, uh, young men could defeat the mighty power of the British and yet God's grace was there and God's grace brought us through. I think about our war of independence, how so many cases we go back and we can see where we should not have won and yet we did, all because of the grace of God. Even in more recent history, we look at world wars that have gone on all around us, uh, wars that were abroad, that we were involved in, and then we had unrest at home, and yet all of those things that we've gone through, one thing has been uh, a consistent reminder to us all is that the grace of God has been sufficient. It was the grace of God that raised us up. It's the grace of God that has got us going. And truly, it's the grace of God that has held things together when the alternative seemed inevitable. I mean, how many times in our short history of a little over 200 years, we look at our country and America should not have survived. 
America should not have been able to get the victories that we did and survive the threats that we did, and yet we were able to, number one, simply because of the grace of God. I want you to think about Noah this morning. Here was a world slated for destruction. God's going to destroy the whole thing, and yet we find Noah and his family finding deliverance. So on the one hand, we had a world going to be destroyed, and the next moment we find a man and his family finding deliverance. Can I ask you this morning, what was it that delivered Noah? The Bible says Noah found grace. Grace is what spanned the gap between destruction and deliverance in his life. By the way, if you're saved here this morning, it was the grace of God is what saved us from our sin. What does the Bible say? The wages of sin is death. All right, so we have death on one hand, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So on the one hand, we have death. On the other hand, we have life. And what was it that spanned the gap and the gulf that separated us from God? Well, Ephesians 2.8 says it simply, for by grace are you saved. Thank God for grace, amen? It's the grace of God that spans the gap from where I am to where I need to be. And it's the grace of God that has raised up this great country. But there's something I want you to notice this morning when you think about our country. When you look closely at our history, oftentimes when you find grace, if you zoom in a little bit closer, when you find grace, oftentimes you find a bearer of grace. The Bible uses the term a minister of grace. When you find a space of grace to where uh, grace has been applied to a situation where we go from destruction to deliverance, oftentimes there was a person there. That brought grace. I think in America's history, oftentimes that grace was presented by a soldier that was willing to be that grace and to stand in that gap that we could not be destroyed and find deliverance as a country. Think about the children of Israel. They were in bondage in Egypt, and yet they went from the bondage of Egypt to the blessings of God. How did they get there? Well, it was by the grace of God that they got out of Egypt and went on to enjoy some of the blessings that God had for them. But there was Moses. Moses was that minister of grace. Moses was the one who stood between them and where they needed to be. Moses was the one who went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. Moses was a minister of grace. He stood between where the people were and where God would have them be. I think about Esther. God's people were slated for destruction, weren't they? And yet God wanted to deliver them, and we know God did deliver them. And yet when we zoom in on that grace, we see there was a person. And that person was Esther that God used. I'm thankful for all of our soldiers and our veterans here this morning and all over the country this morning. Why? Because I believe as you look at America, America is nothing less than a story of grace. It was the grace of God. We just sang about it. God's grace was shed upon us. But so often God uses people to minister grace. Oftentimes it's been a soldier in our in our history, I, I've been noticing on social media lately, uh, a lot of you have been posting pictures of family members, relatives, uh, some black and white photos from the early world wars, and some of them even more current uh, people that stood in our place, who stood in the gap, and oftentimes when destruction seemed inevitable, Hitler marching across Europe, seemingly unstoppable, and yet some of your relatives, friends, people that you know were willing to go stand in the gap. That's what grace does. Grace stands in the gap, and thank God for the soldier, but yet this morning we're going to look at some spiritual grace, uh, if we could, of someone that stood in the gap for someone else, and they show us an example of how we can stand in the gap uh, in the world that we're living in today. We just read in Judges 6 about God's people being in a tough spot. 
You look down in verse 2, the Bible says they're living in caves. Verse number 3, they have nothing to eat. Their crops have been uprooted. They've brought in their cattle. Everything has been wiped out. The Bible says in verse 5, they've just destroyed the land. And yet God, and we look down to about verse number 12, verse 13, God's about to raise up someone who's going to be a minister of grace. Someone who's going to stand in the gap for the land. Is that not what Ezekiel twenty-two thirty says? And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. Notice what God was looking for. He said, I sought for a what? A man. He was looking for a someone who was willing to go and make up the hedge to stand in the gap for the land. God was looking for someone to be the minister of grace where there was a shortcoming in the land. Could I tell you, I believe this morning, and I don't think I have to convince you of this, America has some gaps in it right now. We look around our country and all that's going on, we look at the tension and contention, we look at the division in our country and the immorality that's running rampant in our country. I told the Sunday school class this morning, it broke my heart on election night to read about the law that was passed in Montana, the law that was struck down, if you will. The law was to give to give medical attention to children that were born during an abortion. And that law was struck down. A law that would give medical attention to children that were born during an abortion. And yet that law was struck down that that baby can be left to die. I want you to understand this morning, America has some gaps in it today. And I believe with all of my heart, God is looking for men and women and young people that will minister grace to stand in the gap and make up the hedge. And yet he's finding none. Ephesians 22, 30, it's just about as prophetic as it is for us today. I believe today that God could use each and every one of us to stand in the gap and to bring grace to our country, but we need to know how. And this morning we're going to look at that. We're going to see this man, Gideon. Now, God used him to bring grace and a simple message. We're going to entitle this Grace for the Gaps. Grace for the Gaps. I believe America has some gaps this morning, but I believe God's got grace. And I'm thankful this morning that God's grace is going to be sufficient for the gaps, but God needs ministers of grace, somebody to go and stand in that. So let's look down. Gideon's going to be our test case this morning, and he's going to show us what's required to fill those gaps with grace. Look at verse 14. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? Now notice, before God gave him instructions on what he was going to do, God did something very wonderful for him, and he reassured him of the result. God went ahead and let him know. He says, Hey, you mighty men of valor, he says, you're going to save Israel from the hands of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? Now, the first thing I want you to notice this morning, that grace for the gaps begins with an assurance from God. Grace for the gaps begins with an assurance from God. Now, this is the good news, okay? We're going to start with the good news, and it's going to be downhill from there, okay? So just go ahead and enjoy this first one because it gets worse after that. I'm thankful today that when it comes to the matter of the grace of God, that I have an assurance from the Word of God that God's grace is going to be sufficient. 
that there is nothing ailing America. I know this without a shadow of a doubt. There's nothing ailing your home. There's nothing ailing your children. There's nothing ailing anything about us today in the United States of America that the grace of God is not sufficient for. Now, I'm thankful God gives us that assurance. You know, not everything comes with that type of guarantee, does it? I was thinking this morning about uh, my wife calls it the most expensive piece of wall art we have in our house. It's in my office now, but I brought it out for you to see this morning. This is the most expensive piece of art that I have in my office. This piece of art cost me $611. Well, for some of you who know what it is, uh, you get where I'm going with this. Uh, This is an elk tag that I went on an elk hunt in 2014. And here's the neat thing about this. Uh, When you go on these elk hunts, you buy the license before you go. All right, before you go, you got to buy the license. Wouldn't it be nice if they let us buy the license after we killed the animal? I mean, that just seems to make sense with me. But, no, that's not the way it goes. $611 is what this elk tag cost me. Well, I went and I walked the hills of Colorado and climbed mountains in Colorado, walked all over Colorado, never saw the first elk. The only person who killed an elk was Brother Timothy's brother, Thomas. Uh, I mean, that guy could find an elk in the backyard in Mississippi. He just, he's one of those guys who evidently has God's hands on his life, and I hate him for it. No, I really don't hate him. Uh, but uh, I want to. I'm just being honest. I want to, you know. He bought some land, killed a great big old deer out there in the middle of the land that he just bought. He's just one of those guys. I remember coming home, and uh, my wife, she knew that I didn't kill anything because I never sent her a picture, you know. I could not tell her if I did kill one. And here's what she asked me when I got back. She says, well, can you get a refund on your tag? No, ma'am. No, ma'am, I can't. I They call it a tag sandwich. I didn't eat it. I put it on the wall as a reminder that whatever walks out, I'm shooting it. I don't care how small it is. I'm going to shoot it. I'm not coming home. That was a long way to go, a lot of walking to do, and I put a lot on the line, and yet I had no guarantees of success. Oh, the grace of God's not like that. I'm thankful that when God calls us to go and stand in the gap, we go in order to take his grace to the gap. God's grace always works where God's grace is applied. Look, if you could get that truth this morning, it changed your home. That God's grace always works where God's grace is applied. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, I know that I was a lost sinner, separated from God, doomed to spend eternity in hell, separated from God. My righteousness was as filthy rags. There was nothing I could do to make up for it. I was a prisoner. I dwelt in the land of the shadow of death. And yet, for by grace was I saved. I'm a child of God. I'm on my way to heaven. I'm going to spend eternity with him. You say, how did you make up such a big gap in your life? It was grace. It was grace. Can I tell you, I don't know what you're going through. I know everybody's going through something. And if you're not going through something, you will be going through something soon. Mark it down. It's 2022. Weird stuff's happening everywhere. But can I tell you, I have an assurance from God that his grace is sufficient. Now notice, if you will, in verse 14, and the Lord looked upon him and says, go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. He was giving him a guarantee, regardless of what your need is this morning, God's grace is sufficient. I think about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is getting ready to leave this life, and he's writing a letter to Timothy that God preserved for us to read. The Apostle Paul is giving Timothy what he's going to need to go on without him. Can you imagine not having your mentor there as Paul, as Timothy had Paul? He tells him something I think we should all make note of in our own life. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. 
right at the beginning of chapter 2, he says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace of God that is in Christ Jesus. He says, be strong in it. Why? Because it works. The grace of God works. There's nothing you're going to face. There's nothing your kid's going to face. I mean, I know what hopelessness feels like. I know you get to a place to think, I'm out of answers. But the grace of God is never out of answers. You look at people and you think, they are hopeless. No, they're not. No, why? Because grace is sufficient. I took my calendar this week and just looked over it last night. I try to keep notes of things that come my way and things the Lord allows us to be a part of and things that I need to pray for. If I don't write it down, I will forget. I am 42. I looked over the list. (laughs) COVID brain. We'll just call it that, okay? 42 is not old. We'll call it COVID brain. This week, I got a phone call that one of our people went to the hospital. Broken bone in their leg. Had to have surgery. This week I got a phone call that one of our members who's suffering from cancer was taken to a hospice unit. This week I got a phone call. People who had broken hearts needed to talk. This week I had people sit in my office who had moments like I do in my life of helplessness. This week I got phone calls late in the night of people that were struggling with something. So many different needs. I'm talking about real needs, people. We're not talking about hangnails here. We're talking about real needs in real people's lives. I don't have the answers for that. But can I tell you, the grace of God does. The grace of God does. Going from a hospital to a hospice unit back to the office and phone calls and needs here and needs there. Can I tell you what a blessing it was to have the assurance of the word of God that God has already given us the victory and that victory comes through his grace. And God has called you and I to be the spiritual soldiers of this country. So what do you mean by that? He's still looking for people to stand in the gaps that America has. Why? Because the grace of God is sufficient to fill that gap. One of the things that will motivate us today is to realize we have an assurance from God just like Gideon did that God's grace is going to be sufficient. I want to show you something kind of comical. Look down to verse number 2. Here comes the Midianites, the prevailing of the children of Israel. Watch what they did. The Bible says they made them dens which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. They're having to live out here in the wilderness in mountains, caves, and strongholds. Could we just call that a housing crisis? They're having a housing crisis. The Midianites have moved in and took over everything, and yet God's grace is about to be sufficient for their housing crisis. Look at verse 3. In Israel, when they had sown, the Bible says, they had sown the seeds for the crops they desired to have. Midianites came up, and the Amalekites and the children of the east, even they came up against them, and they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth. Seems like they have a supply chain interruption. So they have, verse 2, a housing crisis. Now they have a supply chain. I mean, they're not going to have crops for the future, and yet God's grace is going to be sufficient for that. We keep on reading. Look down, verse 4. And they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth till thou come unto Gaza and left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor ass. Seems like they got empty shelves. Housing crisis, a broken supply chain, empty shelves. And God says, don't worry, I'm about to raise up somebody that's going to minister grace. Now, folks, understand, we're going through some stuff in our country, and it's not enjoyable because God in his long-suffering has allowed us to enjoy his blessing for so long. And now that we're going without some blessings, it's kind of tough. But you know something important we need to read? It was because of the hands of the Midianites that they finally cried out to God. 
God let it get tough on them in order for them to finally cry out to God. And when God answered, God answered through a man who ultimately would go. And what would he do? He'd minister grace. Can I tell you, I believe this morning God wants to use each and every one of us. God wants to use every, every saved man, every saved woman, every saved young person to stand in the gaps that America has. Why? To minister grace. That's what he's called us to do. By the way, you know why Paul could give Timothy such good counsel to stand in the grace of God? Because he had proven it. He'd proven it. All the times Paul was shipwrecked, night and the day, he'd been in the deep, he was a hunger in perils of this, in perils of that. And now at the end of Paul's life, as he's writing to Timothy, he says, hey, be sure you be strong in the grace of God. Why? It's sufficient. I believe today our Father would want us to know we need to be strong in the grace of God. Why? It's sufficient. You look down at verse number 11, watch this. Here he is, Gideon. Notice he's threshing wheat behind the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. To hide it. Boy, if there's not a picture of the church right there, I don't know what else is. God's people hiding off because of all that's going on. Can I tell you, the grace of God will give you a reason to come out of the shadows. Why? It's sufficient. The grace of God is sufficient to overcome the Midianites. The grace of God is sufficient to overcome any trial that we're going through. God has assured us of that. Can you imagine if God said that to you verbally, how you would feel? Hey, I've assured you, you're more than conquerors. I've assured you that through faith we have the victory. That's what God's given us. And so therefore, you and I ought to be emboldened this morning to go stand in the gap. Not just sit there and watch Fox News thinking, man, this country is going to hell in a handbasket. That's what we say. We look around and we say, everything's going downhill. Everything's falling apart. Hey, God's given us what we need this morning to stand in the gap, to make up the hedge, to minister grace. And we're assured that it will work. Isaiah 40.10, I love this. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. God has given us assurance this morning that his grace will be sufficient, but God ministers grace through people. Somebody's got to step up. Number one, if we're going to fill the gaps with grace, it begins with a reassurance from God. But then watch what happens next. This is important. In spite of the reassurance, watch what he says in verse 15. And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I, I am the least in my father's house. Oftentimes, verse 15 is how we respond to God. God says, Dad, stand in the gap for your family. God says, Mom, stand in the gap for your kids. God says, young person, stand in the gap for your friend. That's what God's called us to do. And then we start telling God why we can't do what he's called us to do. Notice the second thing here in giving grace for the gaps. I want you to notice a resistance to go. A resistance to go. We have a reassurance from God, but unfortunately, oftentimes, God's people, we get sidetracked with this resistance to go. I believe one of the greatest tragedies of our time is not all the wrong that's going on. It's a tragedy, granted, it's a tragedy. All the aborted children, that's a tragedy. All the immorality, I mean, we just passed in, or we, Lamar County, just passed in alcohol. I mean, it's a tragedy what's going on. But the greatest tragedy is all the right that's not going on. All right? It's not all the wrong that's going on. It's all of the right that's not going on. Listen, God didn't condemn the gap. He was looking for the people who should have stood in the gap. 
We love sitting around and pointing out the gap. Well, there's a gap there. There's a problem there. There's an issue there. We've got destruction over here. God is looking for the people who take up the responsibility to stand in the gap. These soldiers here this morning, thank God for them. Thank God for them. There was a gap. They decided to go fill it. They left their families and their children to stand in the gap for you and I. And now there's gaps in this country. It's not a foreign threat. It's a spiritual threat. There's holes in our hedge. You remember Job? We talked about him last week. I think it was. Old Job was safe and secure inside that hedge that God had built around him. And Satan says, I can't touch him. Can't touch him. Oh, that America would be enshrouded around a hedge of God's people that decide we're not going, listen, we're not letting him in. Hey, we're not going to lose our family. I'm not going to lose my home. Dad, I'm going to guard the gate. I'm not going to let him in the hearts of my children. I'm going to stand in the gap. I'm going to minister grace. And yet, what do we do? We do the same thing that Gideon did in verse 15. We have a resistance to go. Here's what's amazing. God has clearly commanded him on what he can do and what he is going to do. And yet, why do we resist? Well, the same reason he did in verse 15. We look at the greatness of the need, and then we look at the weakness of ourself. He looked at the greatness of the need that was out there. He says, God, I don't know if you notice. This is paraphrase, okay? You're not going to find that in Scripture, but this is kind of what he's saying. God, I don't know if you notice, but they're, they're innumerable, I mean, look at their, look at their camels. Look, look, God, they're, they're like the sands on the seashore. They're innumerable, God. And, and I'm just one man. God, I'm the poorest in my household. My family is poor in Manasseh. And I am the least in my father's house. Can I tell you why that resistance is futile? Can I tell you why? God just wanted Gideon to minister grace that was sufficient. It wasn't Gideon that was sufficient. It was the grace that Gideon was going to be ministering that was sufficient. Hey, by the way, that's how you got saved. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved. Thank God for that. But what does it go on to say? And that not of yourself. Look, you ought to put more stock in the grace of God than you do because the same grace that had nothing to do with you that saved you is the same grace that God wants to use through you to plug the holes in our country. It's not of ourselves. It was never going to be about you and I fixing this country. Oh, my goodness. We go back there and sit in my office and we think to ourselves, all right, how are we going to fix America? Well, number one, uh, if it's up to us to fix America, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. Uh, I, I mean, sometimes I don't even know how to change a tire. seems like, you know, they hide those things in different locations on every car. You know, you have to put the thing in there. I think they do that for fun. They're watching us on those government satellites just to have, make fun of us, trying to figure out where the spare tires are on our car. Folks, look. We can barely change a tire. What makes us think this morning that we can change America? We can't change America, but the grace of God can. But the grace of God has got to be carried into the gap by God's people. That's what God's called us to do. And yet we have this resistance. Oh, I don't think I can do that. Can I tell you, you can witness to your lost neighbor. Why? Because the grace of God is sufficient. Do you know why we don't witness to people? We're afraid we're not going to have the right thing to say. Correct? I mean, I've got to research every religion on the planet and know everything that they believe in order to get to their door and answer any question they have. You're never going to do it. Man, we're coming up with new religions like every other day. You're not going to be able to keep up with it. Can I tell you, the same grace that saved you is the same grace that's going to save them. But grace has to be carried to the gap. Somebody's got to say, there's a gap. Hey, we look at people's lives. And oh my goodness, we're guilty of pointing out the gaps in people's lives, aren't we? Man, well, they're coming up short. 
man, they got this going on in their life. Did you see their kid? When that kid got into all that, watch this. We are very good at spotting gaps, but not very good at filling them. All right? I think we are hardwired to find faults in other people, right? We find the speck in other people's eyes while we look around the beam in order to see the speck that is there. Can I tell you, God didn't just call us to see what's wrong. He called us to minister grace to them. Do you know that when you see somebody who has a problem in their life, God is showing you an opportunity to stand in the gap for somebody else? By the way, aren't you glad when somebody stands in the gap for you? You ever had a bad day? Somebody come up and give you a hug. Hey, hugs are working their way up on a premium of value in my life. Amen? I mean, I'm thinking I'd never swap a hug sometimes for a $100 bill. I mean that. Why? It just means a lot. Somebody says, hey, I'm in the gap with you. I got a text from a preacher the other day. Text me just uh, out of the blue. Says, hey, you were on my heart today. I want you to know I prayed for you. Man, somebody went and stood in the gap before God with intercessory prayer for me. Oh, it made my heart so good. Why? Somebody was standing in the gap for me. Somebody was ministering grace for me. Number two, that we have this resistance to go. And unfortunately, I I feel that we talk ourselves out of the opportunity that God gives us to minister grace. Just a little while later, we're going to read about Gideon. I won't take the time to do it, but here's Gideon getting ready to go to battle. The armies outnumbered him. I think they're outnumbered. God says, I want you to whittle your army down a little bit. I'm just being honest, if I'm Gideon, I'm thinking, come again? Did you say, go get more help? You want me to get rid of some help? God says, yeah, let's whittle it down. So there's an innumerable army, and God says, yeah, you got too many. I would never say, are you kidding to God? But I promise you, I would have thought it. You know, I'm reading here, you know, the art of war, and I don't think that's one of the tactics in here. Less men, good idea. I don't think it's in there. Are you sure? God says, yeah, I'm sure. He gets his army whittled down to 300. All right? That's just target practice. I mean, 300? It's just target practice. Do you know why I believe that God whittled his army down so low? He wanted to remind Gideon, this is not about you. It's not about your men. It's not about your numbers. It never was. It's all about me working through you. And I can work greater through less than you can through more. Think about that. All of a sudden, boy, you get burdened on your heart to go talk to your neighbor about Christ. Your heart begins racing. And you look in the mirror and you're thinking, I'm not ready. I haven't learned enough verses yet. I don't know what to tell them. What if they ask me about the apocalypse and the Illuminati? I don't know what I'm going to say. Have fun with it if they do. <laughs> Aliens and Bigfoots, I don't know. Can I tell you, it's never about you. It's never about me. There's not a day that goes by, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, that I, I don't walk out of my office. Right before I walk out of my office, the last thing I do is I kneel down on my chair and I confess to God that I know I'm not enough. I know that. I say, God, I'm going to have to have your grace today. I can't preach what you want me to preach. God, I can't help anybody. Uh, God, it's going to be your grace that fills the gap in their life. So God, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get behind the pulpit today, and I'm just going to hold out some grace and say, hey, this grace is sufficient. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know how bad you hurt. I don't know what the needs in your life. I don't know how hopeless you are, but I do know the grace of God sufficient. And I'm just going to hold it out there. And oh, it's amazing when God does what only God could do. Look, boy, I tried to help people before on my own. It doesn't turn out too well. 
we shouldn't have a resistance to go this morning. Thank God for those who answer the call to go defend our country. Now our country needs us to defend it by being willing to stand in the gap and make up that hedge. The last thing I want to get to is the most important today. For the sake of time, I want you to look down at verse 25. We didn't read it. I want you to skip down. He said, well, this is kind of an exciting thought. Get to go and share grace with people. You have an assurance from God. There's no need to have a resistance to go. Watch what God asked him to do, though. Sometimes grace is looked at as a get-out-of-jail-free card, and we use it as an excuse to sin. Now, you know this is going to go, so just stick with me, all right? I'll let you go home in a minute. Verse 25, and it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal and thy fa- that thy father hath, and cut down the grove that is by it. And build an altar unto the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock in the ordered place. And take the second bullock and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove which thou shalt cut down. Now wait a minute. God wants him to go stand in the gap and make up the hedge. All right, God, I'm willing to do that. But God says before you do that, I need you to tear down the altar of Baal first. And you didn't notice something very important here. There's grace for the gaps. God wants to give grace to his people here. But grace comes with the third thing I want you to see today, and that's a responsibility that is great. There's a great responsibility. Stick with me, okay? You need to get this today, I promise you. God wanted to extend grace to his people. Listen close. But Gideon had to prepare the way for the grace to come. The grace was not just going to come out of the blue. God says, I want you to prepare my people for the grace that's coming. Now, grace can fill the gap. I'm thankful for that. There's no gap in your life, your heart, or your home today that God's grace can't fill. But you need to understand what created the gap first. Okay? Look back to verse 1. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian 7 years. Can I tell you, verse 1 is the explanation for what happened in verse 2 through verse 7. You read verse 1, verse 1, they did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Bible says verse 2 through verse 7 is the consequences that happened after that. Now stick with me, all right? Verse 25, when he told him to tear down the altars of Baal, here's what he's saying. The first step in having the grace of God is undoing what did them in in the first place. He said, if you want the grace of God and you want deliverance, go tear down the reason there's a gap to begin with. This is important, folks. You say, well, that's what you preach on righteousness. Get off of that. No, we don't need to get off of it. We need to hear this this morning. You see, it's the clearing out of sin that makes room for grace. All right, can we get that this morning? We want grace in our life, grace in our home. We want grace in our country, and God wants to give grace. He's not begrudging of it. He wants us to have it. But we got to clear out the sin to make room for the grace. Say, well, you didn't, I don't think you got that one, all right? So I'm going to move on down the line a little bit. Stick with me. Romans 6.1, what does the Bible say? What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How can we still have the altars of Baal set up in our country and have the audacity to ask God for grace? How can we have altars of carnality and worldliness set up in our homes 
and then ask God to bless our children. It's not going to happen that way. He says, tear it down first. You'll never find grace at the altar of Baal. Tear it down. Last week we talked about burning some things. I don't think it would hurt us. There's some things I think we need to tear down. Why? Because we're making room for grace. We've got to go through our house, make sure, our ha- make sure there's nothing in our house. Listen, it brings shame to the name of God. Man, people come out and drive by your house. You know those picker people? They come by your house, get all this stuff out by the road, and they say, hey, what's all this out here for? Tell them you're making room for grace. I want God's grace on my family and my home. Therefore, I'm going to tear down the altars of Baal, which always represents the world. Why? Because I want God's grace in my life, in my home. Right before I got married, I was working on a job. Um, Dad was, we were building this house, and the house was going to be entered into a competition for the Better Homes and Gardens uh, magazine. And boy, it was it was bougie. I mean, man, it was all highfalutin kind of thing. And I remember I was cutting a piece of old heart pine to put in a windowsill, I believe it was, and I was running it through a table saw. It was a long board, and, and so I was running it through the table saw, and I reached back to grab a little bit more to bring forward, wasn't paying attention, and ran my thumb right through the table saw. Yes, they cut meat just as good as they cut wood. That's that white stripe. That's my dummy scar right there. Bless his heart, the poor guy that was standing there with me, like to have thrown up. Because my thumb, and I hate to gross you out, okay? Uh, some of you probably won't have butterfly shrimp for lunch, but that's exactly what it looked like. Just, it just opened up. I remember my, I, was think, I, was, I was engaged to be married. And I'm driving to the hospital thinking, I'm going to be in, in this big club for my wedding, you know. I'm not going to be able to stand there for pictures with all that on my hand that was there. And get to Forest General and go in there, and the guy looked at it, and he's like, Woof. I'm like, yeah, you ought, to, you ought to be feeling it. He takes me back to this room, and he says, Mr. Andrews, he says, uh, I think we can get you stitched up. He's like trying to fold it back together. I'm going to be straight up with you. I'm a wimp when it comes to pain. I hate it. It's just how I'm wired, okay? And he says, i got to clean it up before I stitch it up. So I'm just going to run some water on it, you know? Can you just bring a little spray bottle of water? I turn around, no joke. He had one of those brushes that hooked to your fingers that you clean your fingernails with. And I'm thinking, well, what's that for? (laughs) He says, sir, you have wood chips all in that butterfly shrimp that we have to get out. Yeah, some of you are like, scratch that. We're not going to Red Lobster today. (laughs) Here's what he did. No joke. I'm thankful he was a big old boy. He took my arm and put it under his. He could tell I was a squealer, buddy. And he started scrubbing, and I started dancing. I know we're Baptists, and we're not supposed to dance, but, man, I was getting down with it right there. He goes, does it hurt? No, I'm just in the spirit. The wrong spirit, but I'm in the spirit. He says, well, let me numb it for you. I'm thinking, ooh, he's going to rub this cream on there and numb it for me. Next thing he pulls out, every time he turned around, it was bad. Syringe. I'm thinking, where's that going? It's going in the cut. Sure enough, he hits it. After a while, he starts stitching it up. I'm not kidding. It was like a fat foot in a small shoe trying to pull it all together. I've gained a little weight, so I know what that's like now. He's pulling it all together. Man, he got it all stitched up, and it healed. It feels funny from time to time, but it it got all healed up. Here's the point that I want to give you. He had to clean it up. 
before the medicine could be applied to heal it. Can I tell you, the grace of God can bring healing to whatever needs you got, to whatever need our country's got. The grace of God can bring healing. But God says, I want you to clean it out first. Make room for grace. Get the wood chips out. I mean, he couldn't just sew it. Say, couldn't you just sew it up? No, I got to clean. And he put this iodine all over it, cleaned it up, and he got it clean, and it healed up nicely. Can I tell you, God wants to bring healing to America. God wants to bring healing to your home and your children and your heart and your mind. God wants to bring healing through his grace, but he's like, tear down the altars of Baal first. You got to clean out all that garbage first. But like my dentist, uh, uh, when I was a young man, I went to the dentist a lot, and uh, he looked down and said, oh, you got a cavity. And I'm like, all right, just smear some filling over in there, you know, like spackle. Just fill the hole. He's like, well, we can't do that. And then he turns around and he's got a drill. I mean, I have a problem with people. You know, they put their hand behind their back and they come back and there's a tool of torture. It's amazing. You're, you're breathing in that nitrous. Your toes are tingling. You're getting ready to take off. And as soon as they hit that drill, all of a sudden you come back to earth real quick. And I remember asking our dentist, Dr. Hathorne in Bassfield, I said, I said, why do you have to drill it? He said, we have to get all the decay out before we can fill it. I'm like, well, that's dumb. <laughs> what a great truth. He said, God, I want grace in my home. God, we need some grace in our home. God says, get the decay out, and he'll fill it. He'll fill it. Say, God, I, God, I got this cavity in my heart. God, I need it filled. I got this hole in my heart. I've got this gap in my heart. Oh, you've assured us that your grace is sufficient. It is. God's grace is sufficient. It can fill the void. But God's grace is not going to cohabitate with our sin. You got to clean out the cavity. Get all of those wood chips out. The Bible tells us if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Aren't you glad there's grace to be had? But notice that part, if we confess our sins. Hey, let's clean out the cavity. Hey, let's get the wood chips out. Why? Because God's got grace. By the way, God's got grace for our entire country. Can you imagine that? Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, clean out the cavity, turn from their wicked ways. Then will he hear from heaven, forgive our sin and heal our land. Can I tell you what brings healing to America? Grace. Grace. God says, I want you to turn from your wicked ways. Verse 25 shows us a very important truth. He tells us here, you want grace? I want to bring grace. I need you to go tear down the altar of Baal. We read the same thing in 2 Chronicles 34 about Josiah. The Bible says in verse 3, For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after God of David his father. And then it says, And they break down the altars of Balaam. He says, You know what? I'm going to seek God. Here's just a kid. He's a kid. He had more sense than most of us who've been saved a long time. He says, I'm going to seek after God, the God of my father, David. That's the God that I want. And so you know what we're going to do? The Bible says he took mattocks, hammers, axes, and he tore down the altars of Balaam, and he cut down all of their groves. He says, hey, I want God to bless, but God's grace is only going to fill that void that is left by sin when it is gone. I believe this morning that's a responsibility that we have that is great. I'll give you this, and I'm done. 
Notice what he said in verse 25. It came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Now follow close. Take thy father's young bullock. What? Sir? You want me to take my father's bullock? Can I just go get one at the grocery store? No, take your father's bullock. And then watch what it says. The Bible says in verse 27, Then Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had said unto him. And so it was because he feared his father's household and the men of the city that he could not do it by day, that he did it by night. He's kind of worried about the backlash. You know, you take somebody's oxen and you kill it. You know, they're not going to be terribly happy about that. And then you tear down the altars. They're not going to be happy about that. Verse 28 says, when the men of the city arose early in the morning, behold, the altar was cut down and the grove was cut down that was by it. And the second bullock was offered upon the altar that was built. And they said one to another, who hath done this thing? Who hath done this thing? Can I tell you why we don't cut down the altars? We tear down the altars, cut down the groves. It's because we're worried about what other people are going to say. What are they going to say about that? What are they going to think if they see me cutting down and tearing down these altars to Baal? What do they think if I start living a life different? What are they going to think if I start honoring God instead of honoring Baal was always the God of status quo in the world? What are they going to think when I start tearing down these altars to an unknown God and start honoring the real one true God? Well, they're going to talk. Yeah, they're going to talk. But oh, I promise you, you'd rather have them talk about you than God know about you. This morning, I believe, is God's people. God has equipped us with the greatest tool in the world, and that's his grace. And we look at our world that's full of gaps everywhere. He says, hey, go plug it. But it begins with home. You see, we can't minister grace if we've got those altars built in our home and our heart and our life that don't need to be there. Folks, America's dying World War I, World War II, Korea, Vietnam. Man, people were willing just to go. I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to sign up. I'm going to go. Why? My country needs me. This morning, our country needs us. It needs the grace to fill the gaps. And yet you and I as God's people have got to decide, you know what? I'm going to begin with my home. I'm going to tear down anything at my home doesn't need to be there. Why? Because God's not going to send grace to an altar of Baal. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. And just like a lot of people, you're thinking to yourself, well, that sounds great, but you don't know where I'm from. You don't know what I've done. All right, over here on this side, you know, I've done all this bad stuff and God wouldn't save me. Oh, can I tell you, his grace is sufficient for you. You can go from destruction to deliverance for by grace can you be saved just like I was. But you've got to decide this morning that's what you want in your life. I want grace. A few minutes, we'll have our folks down front and let you come down. They'd love to take the word of God and show you how you can find grace to go from destruction to deliverance. But for the saved here today, I wonder, the grace that you want, is it being held up by something that needs to be torn down? The grace that we want for our country, is it being held up by something we need to tear down? Maybe this morning, we need to follow in the footsteps of Gideon and decide, hey, we're going to clean things up regardless of who says what because we need God to work on our behalf. Let's stand this morning. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I don't know what you're going through.